Well, welcome. This is our second part in a series for the holidays called Aspiration, the highest and best of the season. And we're just trying to draw on those things that we all aspire to, the things that touch all of our hearts. Last week, we started by talking about the dreamer's first step. And and we did that by talking about the fact that how many of you have ever just dreamed and loved the idea of dreaming about giving a million dollars away? I mean, isn't that a universal thing that just makes us all feel like, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could do that? So we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to talk about the working person's first step. And because the reality is we're, we're all a lot like the shepherds in the Christmas story. They're just average working Joes in a routine, going about the normal daily stuff of life on a regular basis, day in, day out, doing the same thing over and over again, going to the same hill, going to the same stream, coming back to the same stable, eating the same stuff in the same cold. And yet, their story is of the ability to be able to recognize the divine in the midst of the normal daily stuff of life. And I think there's something that in all of us aspires to that, that we want to not lose track of life and allow it to become ordinary and the same and meaningless and dull. We want to discover the divine, discover the special, discover where God's at work each and every day. So the question becomes, how do we discover that? How do, how do we discover that in the midst of the normal routines of life? How do we, how do we respond to God when, when he stands out in the normal routine of life? And, and some of you are probably thinking, just like I think when I first talk about the shepherds, well, you know, the shepherds, if, if, if we were like the shepherds, we, we would respond too, right? Because, I mean, after all, they're sitting out in pitch black. And, and if, 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 if angels showed up to me and, and sang and bright lights in the skies and, and we were out, on the, out in the middle of the same place and I saw that, and and there were other people with me who saw it too, so I knew I wasn't crazy, I'd respond too, right? But for us, it's a little bit different because in in some ways, it it was a really profound night for for the shepherds. I mean, yeah, they saw angels. But in another sense, it was a very simple, ordinary night too. Because once once the angels left, they just did what they always did. They just walked the same path to the same stable, with the same, well, not the same manure. They pitched out the manure the day before. But, you know, I mean, the same, you, get the, you get the idea to see an ordinary baby, baby in a manger. No, nothing, nothing spectacular. It was just ordinary. And that really speaks a lot more to our lives because, because yes, there, there may be times when, when God speaks to us or, or shows up in these extraordinary, wow ways, but so much of him in our daily life is about the ordinary and yet, even as we approach this holiday season, you know, whether you've been through 48 Christmases or, or whether you've been through 20 Christmases or whether you've been through 80 Christmases, the longer you've been through those traditions, the, the more tempting it is for it to just be the same old, same old, for it just to be ordinary. And, and we can go through the whole time. And, and it's the same in our relationship with God. If, you, if you've been a follower of Christ for 10 years or 20 years, or, or maybe you're not yet even chosen to be a follower of, of Christ, but the longer you, you, you choose to follow God, it, you can just forget what it was like to not know Him and the beauty of that. Or, or it's even in your jobs. Some of you took on jobs that you're passionate about, that you feel so gifted for, that you feel called to. And day in and day out, year after year, you go back to that job and and just the ordinary, the routine, eventually just kind of just 
becomes the same old, same old. And how do we live life in a way that we can still see the divine in the ordinary? Abraham Lincoln is told to have had this interaction with this lady. There was a soldier, a soldier uh, condemned to hang for treason, and, and the mother comes to Abraham Lincoln and pleads for his life. And he grants a pardon, and, and it's said that as this, as this mother was walking out of his office after he signed the pardon, he, he, he says to her, he says, still, I wish we could teach him a lesson. I wish we could give him just, just a little bit of hanging, just, just a little bit, not the full thing. And many of us pray, fall prey to, to the ordinary in our life and, and missing the special, missing what God's gifts are each day of the life in the ordinary to us because we fall prey to the familiar. And some of us, the only way we get out of that is a little bit of hanging. Jared, our youngest son, is now 12 years old. When he was a toddler, it was 2001, he was a toddler, he was just a little under two years old at the time, and we were at a conference at the Ramada Main Gate right next to Disney in, in, in Los Angeles, and this is actually a picture still accurate to what, was, what it was like back then. And we were there for a regional conference for the West Coast group that I was a part of, and, and uh, it was a church organization that I was working with, and, and uh, it was, you know, afternoons were usually nice. We'd spend them at the pool. We had breaks, and we'd just have fun. This particular afternoon, it was late in the afternoon, and it was the evening of the formal kind of celebration. They always had one evening formal meal where everybody dressed up, and we had a big celebration. That was this evening. So Wendy was standing out there right before that time because I had to go to a meeting, she was out there with Jared in, in her nicest outfit that she had, and uh, she was talking to one other pastor's wife who was out there, and, and they were thinking they were probably the only ones out at the pool other than a few kids that they were kind of semi-watching in the pool, and, and she uh, sets Jared down, and Jared runs and jumps in the eight-foot end of the pool. And Wendy follows over as fast as she can, and she tries to reach in, but he sunk so fast she couldn't reach him. Uh, without getting in the water. So picture Wendy jumping in in her nicest outfit. She's standing on the bottom of the pool of eight feet trying to hold Jared up and she can't get him out of the water and she's beginning to panic because it's been a few seconds. She doesn't know how he's doing and thankfully there were actually two guys out there that we didn't notice who, were, who we knew who were both lifeguards and they jumped in and they helped her get Jared out and stuff. But you know, he's, he breathed in some water. He was coughing up a storm, and Wendy was holding him, and, and, uh, and, and he, she set him down, and he tried to jump in again. <laughs> it's just, that's the way he is. If you watch him play sports, that's the way he is. He hits somebody, he just wants to hit him harder the next time, you know? You know, that night's sleep was that night sleep was futile uh every time wendy fell asleep uh a dream would come back and she'd wake up in a panic with that feeling that i'm I'm on the bottom of the pool and i can't get my kid above the water and she just kept waking up over and over again with this helpless feeling of of being able to get him to safety not being able to get him to safety jared developed pneumonia the very next day uh, by the end of the night practically because of the water in his lungs and Maybe sometime I'll tell you a story that arose out of that that is one of those stories that where, you know, you as parents, you look back and you go, 
I can't believe I did that. That was just really insensitive and stupid, but I won't tell you that now. We were blessed that evening. That evening was just a little bit of hanging for us. It was enough to remind us of the gift that God gave to us and, and, and how God was blessing our life. We were blessed. But for many of us, those, those events in our life that shock us and bring us back to reality, they, they force us to face the enemy of us all, this enemy that we call familiarity. All of us likely have a memory of a loved one, whether it was a child or a, or a parent or a sibling or a friend or, or somebody that we almost lost. And isn't it true that even when those events happen, that it can so quickly revert in our life back to the normal, back to the familiar, and, and we just forget? Max Lucado writes about this. He says, To say that familiarity breeds contempt lets him off easily. Contempt is just one of his offspring. He also sires broken hearts, wasted hours, and an insatiable desire for more. He's an expert in robbing the sparkle and replacing it with the drab. And his strategy is deceptive. He won't steal your salvation. He'll just make you forget what it was like to be lost. You'll grow accustomed to prayer, and thereby you, you won't pray. Worship will become commonplace, and study will become optional. With the passing of time, he'll infiltrate your heart with boredom and cover the cross with dust so that you'll be safely out of reach of change. Score one for the agent of, humility, of familiar, familiarity, he says. And then he goes on to say, nor will he steal your home from you. He'll do something far worse. He'll paint it with a familiar coat of drabness. He'll repra- replace a night on the town with evenings in the recliner and romance with routine. He'll scatter the dust over ye- of yesterday over the wedding pictures in the hallway until they become a memory of another couple in another time. And he won't take your children. He'll just make you too busy to notice them. His whispers to procrastinate are seductive. There is always next summer to coach the team, next month to go to the lake, next week to teach Johnny how to pray. He'll make you forget that the faces around your tables will soon be at tables of their own. And hence, books go unread, games go unplayed, hearts go unnurtured, opportunities will be ignored. All because the poison of the ordinary, the poison of the familiar, has deadened our senses to the magic of the moment. Before you know it, the little face that brought you tears, brought tears to your eyes in the delivery room has become common. A common kid sitting in the back of the seat of your van as you whiz down the fast lane of life. Unless something changes, unless someone wakes you up, that common kid will likely become a common stranger. You know, a little bit of hanging might, might do us all a bit of good sometimes. To this day, Wendy keeps a picture of Jared in plain sight of him at that age. This picture was taken a month or two away from that, obviously in a, a different place. That's the Oregon Sand Dunes, a wonderful place if you ever get to visit. Um, just to remember, just to remember what God doesn't want us to forget. She keeps the picture out. But life, the reality for most of us is that life doesn't always give us just, just a little bit of hanging. In fact, sometimes it doesn't give us any hanging. The tediousness of the day-to-day, the, the routine, everything we find ourselves in, we walk through life and we find ourselves numb, wondering where God is and wondering when he's going to show up and wondering when church is going to be exciting again. 
But Jesus invites us in this, in this amazing story to something different. It's, it's, really, it's, it's really not just a story. We so often read the Bible and we treat everything as a story. We read it like a story. It's, but this is just a real, real true interaction that Jesus had with some people. And, and it's an interaction not unlike we, we have had either. How many of you have ever been like at a, at a party that was just very political for work and, and, or, or maybe a, another environment where everybody was just trying to jockey for position, everybody was trying to make sure they got to say hi to the right people because it might help them get a promotion or, 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 or give them the right to name drop. You know, you've been around name droppers, right? The people who say, oh, I met Condoleezza Rice and I know her and she's, you know, you know, you get to, she was in town this last week and it was pretty cool if you didn't, if you didn't know about it. Um, speaking to the high school kids here. But you've been there, haven't you? You've been in those settings where people are name-dropping and schmoozing and trying to get to the right places and there's an agenda and it's, it's just this room full of insecurity. Everybody trying to, trying to get their needs met by, by feeling important by who they're talking to. And, and in the story, we see Jesus in that same very room in, in Luke 14. He's invited to this room with these guys who are all the best religious leaders of the day. And, and they're living out in this setting. It even says in the context in, in its own words, but they're living out what we often talk about in, you know, bring your friends close and your enemies closer. And you bring your enemies closer so that you can get to know them well enough, make them feel trusted well enough that you can expose them and dispose of them, right? So they brought him into this room to try to trick him. And, and Jesus is sitting here watching all these strange dynamics going on in the room. And he does something that we've all been there too when this has happened. Have you been in a room where, where the normal dysfunction is going on and you know you're not supposed to talk about it and then somebody does? Right? So Jesus, Jesus talks about this dysfunction, this new guy in the room, brings this whole thing up, and it's, it's just this amazing picture. If you don't just treat it as a story, if you think about the time you were there, do you remember, do you remember the last time you saw that? And you just remember how thick and awkward the air was? Do you remember the blank stares in everybody's faces and the response that people got? And, and it's just this, I, I find it so fascinating. God, this, this God who pursues us, who loves us, who is so patient with us, who, who is so complex and interesting that he's also so comfortable in his own skin that he'll talk about the elephant in the room and, and call it out, and he's just comfortable doing that. It's awkward. But Jesus finishes this after he says it, and here, here's actually what he says. I'll just read what he says. In verse 8 of Luke 14, it says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, and remember, now Jesus has just interrupted this whole crowd of people, right? When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may, be, may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to the better place and then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And then he, then he just drives it home, you know, not trusting the story to drive it home, not trusting the obvious to drive it home. He says, for all those who exalt themselves, which everybody's trying to do in the room, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the air just goes silent. Everybody's uncomfortable. And then there's, there's always this person in the room who can't stand the silence and they break it. 
You know, they have to figure out something kind of spiritual sounding to say, something profound to say, to, to, to attempt to break the ice at a moment like that in the room. And, and this guy comes out and says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, in verse 15, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, isn't that a nice, really nice sounding thing? To me, this statement is, is like the one we've always heard. Whenever you see that thickness just sit there, somebody always tries to interrupt it and return it to normal, to soothe it, to, to just kind of cover over the confrontation and, and just make it not seem so bad or not seem so much, just to alleviate the guilt and, and return things to normal. And, you know, instead of Jesus leaving well enough alone, Jesus presses in and amps it up again. And in when he does this, it's, it's this amazing example, I think, for all of us and as a side point of, of what the love of God can sometimes look like. Jesus, instead of backing away from this and letting it return to normal, amps it up and drives it home. But in doing, he, he also invites us to avoid a little bit of hanging and to remember to make room for him in the ordinary of life and speaks directly to this issue. In verse 16, it says, Jesus replied, a certain man, in the story, that's God, this certain man, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full I tell you not, one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's break that down a second. God refers to himself in this story as a certain man. Just, just a certain man. Isn't it easy, truth be told, in our life to treat God as this, this idea, this, this distant being, this person who's just kind of ordinary, and it's so easy for us to walk through life and, and just not really pay attention to how great he really is. And it says preparing a great banquet and inviting many. And, and, and when it talks about inviting in this passage, it, it, it talks about going and getting the needy and bringing them in and carrying the crippled and leading the blind and helping the lame and offering generosity to the poor in, in this passionate pursuit, this, this compelling way. This is, this is the story of this God who is so passionately in love with us that he, he's just... His, His passion drives him to anger and desiring, I want them to come to me. A generous, loving God. And he invites us that same way today to come to him, to know him. Why? Because it's not just any banquet. This is a great banquet. This banquet is abundant. So why didn't they come? They all made excuses. Why is it? Well, it's just because of their routine. 
their routine in life, the, the normal routine of their life was two parts work and one part, one part pleasure. It was, they were, being too, they were in the middle of being too successful. I mean, look at it. They were out, they were out buying property and buying new equipment and, and reaping all the wonderful things of life that you're supposed to have. And, and in their world, what's, what's the big deal with a banquet? I mean, we've been to banquets before. We eat well every day. We've been, we've been to church over and over again for 20 years. What's the big deal? What's, what's going what's gonna to shock us now? What's going what's gonna to really speak to us? What's going to wow us now? You know, we've been there. We've been a small group weekly. We've been, we've been in a relationship with others pursuing God weekly, and it, and it just becomes ordinary. And we miss the gravity, the profoundness of the invitation. And it says, no one invited will get a taste. We miss the banquet, not just a banquet. Because we miss its importance, because our priorities, our routines, our drivenness cause us not to see the divine and participate in God's stuff in the common stuff of life. And the reality is that most of our experience with God is not wow, it's in the routine of every day. It's just as we walk through the same old, same old stuff we do. It's as we go to church again and we sing and we worship and we may have sung those songs a thousand times and yet, and yet God may want to speak to us, maybe giving us an invitation through that same thing that we've done daily, weekly, for years, and, and we fall prey to the cycle of life and the cycle of temptation. See it all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's 38 kings and one, one queen over Israel. And, 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 and we see in Israel's history that, that the greatest danger of missing God was not in the desperate times of life, not when the difficult times of life were going on. The greatest, des- the greatest possibility of missing God in their life, as we see in the story illustrated in the Bible, is when everybody had a chicken in their pot and everybody had the newest and fanciest burrow in their driveway. That's when they were missing God and their faith and and life quality started to decline. We live in a culture of distraction. We live in a culture of activity, of, of entertainment everywhere, and we just become so familiar with that level of entertainment, that level of activity, that, that level of routine that, that, that we come and, and something isn't that, and we just, it just seems like everything else we've seen, and we miss God in the ordinary of life. Because when things become familiar... We think we're entitled to them. And we live out of entitlement in our life. So much. And God wants to shake that off of us and, and help us to see and invite us to see Him each and every day. The final mes- message of this parable is not that, that, we, that we shouldn't have success. It's clear that God wants us to have success. He's offering us an abundant banquet, a great banquet. He wants us to have prosperity in every sense of the word in our life. But the final message of this, of this parable is that God does, goes where he's wanted. He just goes where he's wanted. And the question for us today is, where do we want him? Where, how do we want him? It's not that he favors the poor. The invitation was also made to the rich. It's not that he doesn't want to lavish beauty and creativity and even entertainment on us in our lives. 
it is that we become so familiar, so entitled, so dull in the ordinary things of life that we don't see God every day working in our lives. And entertainment becomes more important than relationship with him. So we come to church, we go to our Bible study, and if there's not a wow factor, we go, God's not there. And that's simply not true. It is that God wants us to recognize as well our need and to recognize the need of those around us and discover him in the divine invitation to grow together in just the simple things of faith and life and church. And he wants us to continually respond to that and be fresh and open in our hearts to that even after 10 years, even after 20 years, even after 40 years of banquets, of worship music or sermons or small group discussions or interactions and the same old, same old, he still wants us to have a soft heart that even if we're not entertained, we can see where he's at in the ordinary of our life. And in one sense, This is really a lesson of how we grow old well. You could sum it up that way as well. How do we stay sensitive to the divine in the ordinary after 48 years of life or 50 years of life or 80 years of life? Because after a while, everything is ordinary. King Solomon says it this way. He says, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. No level of entertainment no level of creativity, no level of anything under the sun that's new. Eventually, everything becomes ordinary. And so maybe the better thing to do is to pray the prayer the psalmist prayed. It says, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days, and let me know how fleeting my life is. Show me a little bit of hanging. Help me to be broken and humble so that God goes where he is wanted. Where do you want him? How do you want him? It's so easy to miss. We have a wonderful testimony today of, that illustrates this so well. If, if, uh, come on, if Julie and Alex. Can you give Alex a big hand for being brave enough to come up here? Through some of the things that Julie's been going through in her own growth, and they're also related to some of the things we talked about in the last series, uh, she had an experience recently where uh, it would have been easy in the normal routine of life to miss God, and she didn't. I want you to tell her that, tell that story. Um, over the past few weeks, I've been uh, practicing um, just kind of going to my safe place with the Lord, just closing my eyes during the day and taking a minute to pause and um, just spend time with Jesus. And um, I usually need this. I'm a stay-at-home mom and, you know, busy kids, four little boys, and I need to stop sometimes and just refocus. And uh, the kids would ask me sometimes, Mom, what are you doing? And I'd say, Mommy just needs a minute to focus and breathe. And um, so one evening when I was getting them ready for bed, it had been a long week. Bill worked late every day that week, and um, they were just having, I was kind of having a hard time. And so I just stopped for a minute. And I said, okay, be quiet, guys, for just a minute. Mommy's just, I need a minute. And Justin, my six-year-old, says, um, Mommy, are you focusing again? I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and, uh, well, then I said, um, do you guys want to know what I'm really doing? And they said, yes. And so I explained that I was just taking a minute to close my eyes and put myself in a place where I could see Jesus. It was just Jesus and me. And 
that I could share anything with him, whether it was good or bad, and it was comfortable and it was safe and it helped to control my emotions so that I wasn't getting angry with them. And they thought that was pretty cool. And I was just going to continue on with the normal bedtime routine. And I said, do you guys, uh, guys want to try that? And they seemed excited and said, yeah, we want to do that. Well, my four-year-old and two-year-old were kind of doing their own thing. So I focused on Alex and Justin for a minute. And I just told them to close their eyes and picture Jesus however they could imagine that it was okay, however they pictured Jesus. And to be in a place that was comfortable and safe to them and, you know, made them happy. And I said, just picture Jesus for a minute. And, and they said that they could see what they thought he looked like. And then I said, um, I said, I don't know what Jesus will do or what he will tell you, but I said, I do know that the Bible says that Jesus loves little children. And that if, um, so if you want to picture him coming to you and giving you a big hug or um, you sitting on his lap, that that would be just fine. And they both got these big grins on their faces. It was so cute. And um, then I, I thought this might be, since it was going so well, I thought this could be a good opportunity to start teaching them to hear from their Lord. And I said, why don't you ask Jesus in your mind what um, something that he thinks is special about you? And so they did, and they each shared something that they were good at or wanted to be good at. And then Alex said, hey, Mom, what did... What did God tell you? And I said, well, I didn't ask him because I was helping you guys, you know, practice. And um, and they said, well, we want you to do it. And I said, okay. So I stopped. And I mean, within a split second, the first thing that came to my mind was, you're a good mom. Well, I just dismissed it because I'm like, oh, I just needed to hear that this week. And <laughs> so I just kept thinking for a minute. And I said, well, I think God told me that, you know, I'm special and he wants to be with me. Well, that is true. But then Alex said, oh, kind of disappointed, I thought he told you you were a good mom. And oh. I said, he did tell me that. Isn't that beautiful? How easy it would be, yeah, in the ordinary of life, in the ordinary of normal bedtimes that we do every night the stress we have with kids, the process of wanting to teach him how easy it is to miss God unless we take time to look. Satan's goal with us is to take that which is most precious to us and make it appear most common so we just don't pay attention to it. We just don't look at it. So I want to ask you a couple questions and give you a couple moments if the worship team could come I'm just going to give you a couple moments to reflect on a couple questions. What things have become familiar and easy for you to take for granted? And there's just a list of possibilities. Would you just, would you just prayerfully ask God, would you show me the things I take granted for? And then we wrote the second one even much more personally so that you could read it as a prayer to God. In particular, Lord, in my relationship with you, where are the areas I have become familiar and I'm not seeing you? And we're just going to let the band play a little acoustic behind here and give you a moment to just reflect on that with God prayerfully. Would you do that right now?
told of a guy named Bob Edens. Um, Bob was blind for 51 years. For 51 years, he lived in this dark, black hall of sounds and smells. Five decades of darkness. And then because of the miracles of advancement in medicine and a skilled surgeon, he was given the gift of sight. And he talks about it and he says how overwhelming it was. It was so much more than he could ever have dreamed of, how yellow the yellows were and how red the reds were and how he loved red and, and how amazing it was to see the moon. And how One of his favorite things was the vapor trail of a jet in the sky that he'd talk about. He just couldn't believe how beautiful it was, the sunsets, the stars. and It's just amazing to him. But Bobby Edens isn't the only one who suffers from blindness and darkness going through life. We so often get caught up in the ordinary, the normal, the routine, the familiar, that we become dead to seeing the beauty all around us. We no longer see the riches of the yellows and the, and the beauty of the stars, and we no longer pay attention to God in the simple, ordinary moments of life. Instead, we, we so easily get caught in our faith into the idea that we have to have these extraordinary, amazing things happen, and God does want to do those. God does want to heal. God does want to do amazing things and speak to us in amazing ways that, we, uh, that are beyond ourselves, but there is so much of our life and so much of our faith that is simply found in the ordinary. And the invitation today from the Holy Spirit to us is to allow Him to open our eyes. We're naturally drawn to that in the holiday season. We're naturally drawn to the values of family and the values of faith and the aspirations that we want to have there. But, but He wants us to live there all the time in an awareness of Him in the ordinary. Could I just pray for you and pray for the areas? Just, just bless the areas. Lord, we all fall prey to this. It's so easy, so easy for life to just become familiar. For us to forget how amazing you are. For us to walk through life and, and you offer us a banquet and we just go, well, this is kind of the same thing we've always done. We just, you know, we just miss you because we're looking for the next greatest thing instead of resting to see you in the ordinary, to see you in the everyday of life. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes and that you'd bless us with that ability, that we would be blessed with these great banquets that we would dismiss so easily as little things, that, 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 that even little things that, that uh, we heard even in the testimony from, from Julie, just needing that affirmation from you that I'm a good mom or I'm a good dad. And help us not to miss those moments when you want to speak to us about just those simple things in our life. Just those routines that we face. In Jesus' name. And I want to challenge you to do one other thing. I want you to take the thing that you identify and I want you to, I want you to talk with somebody about it. Take it a step further. Talk with somebody about it. Maybe write it down on a piece of paper and stick it on your rearview mirror or put it in your pocket so every time you reach in, even if you don't take it out and read it, every time you reach into your pocket to get your keys out, you feel that and you go, Lord, help me remember to see you in the ordinary in the moments today. 
And maybe some of you are here and you haven't sensed God in a long, long time. Or maybe you just need to see where he's at in some of the ordinary difficulties of your life today. I want to invite you to prayer. And I want to invite you in one of two ways. I want you to either grab a friend next to you as we close the service and just hang out as long as you want and ask them, would you pray for me? Because you know what? There have been times in my life where I don't sense God and somebody prays for me and it's like, it's like Alex speaking to her mom. And they speak a word to me that just brings life and hope in the midst of a time when I, I wonder where God is in all the ordinary. Would you do that? And if you don't have any friend here, some of the people who normally pray for people could come up as we dismiss now and the band plays the last song after dismissal here. Would you just come and turn to a friend or come to someone and get prayer? let's have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving draws us back to this thing of paying attention to the gifts God gives us. Let's make it go past that too. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Have a great week.